This is podcast number 12, sponsored by WordSprint. Hi, this is Paul Lemberg, and I want to welcome you to Orchestrating Success with Hugh Ballou. This podcast is all about ways to redefine leadership as a pathway to increasing your business or nonprofit income. Now, here's Hugh with today's session. We're interviewing Ken Courtright about legacy. Ken, what does legacy mean to you, and how are you creating legacy? Um, and spell Carrie, if you will. Sure. So Carrie is K-E-R-R-I. And Carrie and I have spoke of legacy uh, since day one, since 1992, before children. Um, we were talking about getting into business, creating uh, at least a very strong revenue stream, but in the mid to late 90s, it switched to a desire for multiple revenue streams. Uh, and then it became uh, vocal, and we even did a dream board of it in 2006 to where we wanted uh, to ensure that our children started on our shoulders. And what I mean by that is um, we, we don't want to spoil our kids. As a matter of fact, our our second oldest and our youngest, we have four kids, uh, were in coding camp this summer. So they were learning Python and other coding languages. My oldest daughter, she's 18. She just spent 10 days at our corporate office in Pennsylvania studying under our chief marketing officer and one of our creative directors, um, so she can work part-time for us when she goes off to college. So our view is we we had some, some very difficult times in 1999 financially. Uh, to say, uh, to put it lightly, we couldn't wait to be broke. We were in such debt. We were, we were in such a financial uh, situation. We couldn't wait to just have no money, not, not old people. Um, so what we wanted to do is, how do we raise four children in a way that we don't spoil them, we don't give them too much, they work for what they get, they have a complete respect for money and time and, and work and effort, but at the same time, when they hit young adulthood, they're physically standing on our shoulders with a different vantage point. I, I don't want them uh, pulling cones at Dairy Queen, not that that's bad. I just want them getting different vision, and I want them to be able to hit the ground running um, financially. So uh, at a very young age, we started teaching them what is a savings account. Uh, just like my dad, between 16 and 18 years old, uh, brainwashed me that I will not have a credit card. I will pay my home off in five years. I will buy used cars until I can afford a new car. Um, I live exactly the lifestyle of my father. We had 17 years in a one-bathroom home with multiple children where we delayed gratification, where the rest of our friends were driving fancy cars in massive homes. Well, today, we have the fancy cars in the massive home on a private ski lake, but because we delayed gratification for so long, our children understand how we did it, why we did it, and more importantly, when we did it. We did it in our 40s. We didn't go out and get a big, massive home in our upper 20s, mid-30s when we could have. We absolutely could have, but we taught our kids through example, what, what does it mean in this very difficult society of keeping up with the Joneses 
What does it mean to delay gratification? So that gets us to legacy. We also started a business that has evolved over time that allows my wife and I well over a hundred different revenue streams to where they're all independent of each other. They can't, you know, one or two or three or 10 income streams will not, if they go down, will not affect our lifestyle or our income. And so we decided in 2009 to diversify our income and diversify our legacy by helping other people create revenue streams through web properties. And so whether you're a private equity fund or an individual or a business, you know, we might be in partnership with you on a website and it's all built in a company that is willable to my kids and grandkids. So when it's time to pass this thing on, um, my one daughter is going to Pepperdine for business administration with a minor in marketing. My second daughter just got out of coding camp and can't wait to go into writing and programming, which our company needs at a high level. Um, so all of our kids are physically pursuing paths with the current want, and we have not asked them, the current want to come in and take over this company. But the key is even if they didn't want to, and I could just will something to them, we have a portfolio that has hundreds of millions of eyeballs. Well, quite frankly, in 2017, we're going to run a billion eyeballs across our portfolio, and that will give our kids uh, a traffic pattern. Uh, it'll give them eyeballs. It'll give them a platform for whatever business they want to start. And more importantly, it'll give them a revenue stream that will provide them options because you and I both know, Hugh, that money has nothing to do with people. Money is an inanimate object. If you're a good person before money, you're a good person with money. If you're a bad person before money, you're a bad person with money. The odds of your character changing because of a positive or a lack of money I've never seen it. Personally, I've never seen it. So um, what Carrie and I wanted to do was help the kids avoid the trauma we faced in our early years in business of just so lacking capital and that traumatic event for a year and a half when we almost lost everything. Um, we just want to be there for them and, and give them a legacy that they can um, that they can respect and grow further. That's amazing. Now, in, in um, one of the things that we don't do well in charities is establish a succession process. And basically what you described is a succession process is, is your legacy um, for your company. Um, thinking of, of charities and legacy, you support a number of charities in a number of ways. So part of your legacy is helping charities be more successful. Um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, as you well know, we, we support Cinevision and, and your organization and, and five to six. Quite frankly, now I think we're at seven, uh, seven organizations that receive 5% of our gross revenue, not net revenue. Um, so 5% of gross monthly revenues that come in uh, get dispersed between now seven organizations. Uh, my wife and I's church is the biggest recipient. They're building a... Um, a very, very large uh, addition. It's actually three times larger than the current church uh, onto the church. We've actually had our church on payroll for three years. We physically have God on payroll uh, at $600 a week for no other reason than why not? So it's just, but we, and that doesn't count as one of the seven. Um, but, you know, we're a, um, 
we're a big believer uh, in Malachi 3.8, which basically says you, you've got to give him back the first fruits. And uh, it's the only time in that good book, that best-selling book, where he says, test me on this. And uh, so I have definitely tested God on that. And uh, I believe we're seeing the results of that as we have uh, hit the Inc. 5000 list three of the last four years. And uh, in our early days, we doubled uh, our gross revenues five out of seven years in the early years. So, you know, outside of those couple lean years in the middle where I just diversified so wide into so many different businesses without management, um, we've been pretty consistently growing. And I do believe there's a lot to be said uh, for corporate tithing and, and really dealing with worthy causes because I believe that's why we're on this planet. We did a podcast earlier, and you talked about companies asking the legacy question. Could you reframe a legacy question inside of a church or a charity? You know, what is the legacy question that these organizations need to be asking so they don't go out of business? My, my church is a Methodist church, and currently they're <clears throat> losing 1,200 members a week. And I think that's and that's typical of most of the mainline churches. So they're not asking the legacy question of what do we need to do to maintain our our members? Well, I mean, first things first, you got to understand a charity or any kind of organization is a business. You know, it just just, it doesn't have to be a for profit business, but it is certainly a revenue generating entity and parishioners who tithe and parishioners who you know, buy certain books and certain equipment for from certain churches like CDs and, and, and coffee at a church. They're supporting that church. It is a revenue stream any way we slice it. So let's get to the fundamentals. Legacy question was built to counter what's called entropy. And, and the definition of entropy says anything man-made or God-made is built to go from order to disorder. It's built to break down. A business is breaking down, our body's breaking down. Everything is breaking down at all times. It's our job as leaders of businesses, which charities are definitely businesses, to be asking what is called the legacy question, which is the counter to entropy. So the legacy question says, what can we do nights and weekends that doesn't cost any extra time or any extra resources, meaning money, that could bring in a secondary source of revenue to our organization. So a church, for example, many churches have a bake sale or they do a kid's camp or they do a this or that. They come up with these 5, 10, 15, 20 things throughout the year to raise or supplement income. One of the reasons being they themselves as a church support smaller churches or smaller organizations overseas or this or that. So they want to, for themselves and for the, I'll call them their children, they want to protect those entities. They're always kind of coming up with what I call one-off revenue streams. I think for a church or a charity, if they just simply shifted the mindset from the bake sale or the the kids camp or the something and go away from a one-time event to creating something that provides a monthly revenue stream, an additional monthly revenue stream. So for for a big church, I don't know why I don't see big churches getting with what I call the floating pastors that love to go from church to church just to give sermons. I don't know why they don't capture some of that information, some of those sermon notes into a think tank like a lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com, 
Lynda.com just got sold to LinkedIn for a billion and a half. And all Lynda did was turn to all the teachers in the world and then eventually the universities and say, would you donate to me 10 minutes to two hours to 10 hours of the greatest video you have of the greatest teaching points of your classroom or your institution? And whether it's Notre Dame or a mom and pop teacher in, in, in Milwaukee, she got all of these great videos donated. And then she just simply charges the world what used to be $9 a month and $29 a month for the monthly rights to access the greatest teaching tutorials of the world. And she just aggregated great content. So I don't know why churches and organizations, quite frankly, even the Cub Scouts and Girl Scouts, they have these great speakers come in and talk to the kids. Why don't they record them, transcribe them, and then create some form of a 100% uh, monthly contributions getting donated to this church, getting put to use, and just create a second passive revenue stream because that would be what's called an S-curve or the response to the legacy question. And that could be done That could be done three times a year and you pick your head up in 10 years and that church has 30 additional monthly revenue streams that help them support their church, support their their, their, their expenses and allow that church to grow and then provide the necessary changes that need to take place so those 1,200 parishioners don't leave every week. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And we, we don't deal, um, in the podcast that we just did, you, we talked about leaders that, and yourself included, you dealt with the situation. You, you, had it, you hit it head on. And, and I find a lot of charities are hoping it's going to change and for instance, they have one source of revenue, and you can't create a legacy if your one source of revenue, which is mostly donors, dries up. And certainly, donor donor money is up and down. Um, so, define legacy question. Just to be clear, so that a, a, a pastor or a nonprofit executive director understands sure. how how to frame that. Yeah, no question. So, for a backup, I have a, a twenty to twenty five minute podcast. It was episode number one on today's growth growing business today that's the technical name of the podcast or you just go to itunes and type in ken courtright there's a 20 22 minute podcast that describes in detail what i'm just going to give you in 60 seconds so the legacy question which comes from jack welch the ceo of ge capital in its greatest growth spurt simply says this what can we do nights and weekends to add a secondary revenue stream to our main source of income. So Jack Welch is presupposing that every family, every business, and every charity, which is a business, has a main source of income. We'll call that the nine to five income. So the legacy question says, what can we do five to nine, meaning in our off hours, that doesn't cost any extra money, just time, no extra expenses, no extra equipment, just time. What can we do in our off hours with the creative energies we have to build a second residual repeating revenue stream. And initially it's to take the pressure off the main revenue stream. But once you do three, four, five of these, you realize, holy mackerel, one of these has just become bigger than our main source of income. And then what you do is every couple of years, you stack another two to five revenue streams In the business world, this is called the research and development department. And you just continually keep stacking as what is now mandatory 
at every major corporation. There is not a single Fortune 500 company today that does not have a research and development department that is currently spending money knowing it's not going to come back and it's going to get wasted and exhausted in the pursuit of the next decade's revenue stream. So if major corporations have to have the R&D division, why doesn't a household have an R&D division? Why doesn't a charity have an R&D division? It doesn't make any sense to me, but again, what you don't know, you don't know. So um, that, that is the legacy question. Good, good. Do you want to do a summary before we quit here? Sure. I, I, w- I would just say that the, the summary is uh, the first step of all success for business, a charity, a household, is to stop lying to yourself. You know, as soon as you stop lying to yourself that things are good, things are going to maintain, things are going to continue, you know, the reality is 100% of main sources of income fail. 100% of them, not most, not half, 100%, whatever the main source of income is in that charity, at some point it's going to fail. Even if you take a church, that body of parishioners today is not going to be the body of parishioners in 65 years. They're going to die. So so the reality is, as the world changes, every organization has got to say to themselves, okay, what are we going to do when, not if, our main source of income fails? What is our next source of income? And if they're not asking that question, they're lying to themselves. That's my summary. Today's podcast is sponsored by our friends at WordSprint. Go to wordsprint.com and get a free consultation about how WordSprint can deliver your message, the right message to the right person in the right rhythm to maintain your client engagement, to maintain your donor base. It's important to build and maintain relationships with your tribe. WordSprint.com. Go look at their site, log on, and request a free consultation and tell them you heard that on this podcast. This is Hugh Ballou recommending WordSprint. Thanks for listening today to the Orchestrating Success Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to stay focused on ways to redefine leadership and increase your profit.